Hello and welcome to They Just Get It on the Fringe. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm, and I'm excited, as I often am, to be sitting here today with my special friend, special guest, fellow aviator. I say that loosely, which we'll unpack in a second. <laughs> Mr. Chris Bingham, how are you, sir? Uh, good, good, my friend. Good to be here. Good to have you on, man. We've been talking about this for a while, have, and when yeah. I started to put together on the fringe of, you know, people that just live a different kind of lifestyle. I was like, you know what? I know just the guy. For starters, you, you're a pilot. You're a professional pilot. You are 6,000 hours, 5,500. Where are you at? Yeah. Uh, uh, let's, let's call it uh, 6,400. 6, yeah. 6, yeah. We don't want to round up, but we certainly don't want to round yeah. down. Let's be, yeah. Let's, yeah, let's you be always clear. round up. Always, always round up. Always. 6,400 hour pilot. I got you know a special place for pilots, as, you know, don't, not in a weird way. But uh, I started my career. That was my intention. I moved out west to fly. You and I didn't know each other at the time. My path went left. You're path went right and you have grown your career but even better than being a pilot you fight fires with a plane man like that is not your typical everyday like like am i going to be bold here do like do other pilots think what you do is also cool because you fight fires at low level man that's a pretty intense version of being a pilot i would say i need to um uh just giving uh, due respect to to um all the people that uh that fill that role um but my, my, my path and my, uh, my, my job is, is unique for sure. Yeah. You work in BC, uh, in the summer. Well, we're going to talk about, you're actually on your way to Australia pretty quick to fight, fight some fires around, around my, the world. My side, but, my side gig. Yeah. Yeah. Your side yeah. gig. But you've been working for Conair, which is a BC based, uh, aerial firefighting company that's been around I think, since the late, late 60s, 69, I believe. And how long have you been at Conair? Yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, um, I think, well, they celebrated the, uh, 50, 50th anniversary, uh, uh, Two three years ago, or but we're so they're uh, uh, in its current form. It's uh, um, uh, about fifty three years as a company. Um, so I just completed my twentieth season. Um, so this uh, this coming June will be my twenty year anniversary at the company. That's so, awesome, man! Congratulations, twenty years. That's a that's multiple lifetimes in there. How many hours? Like uh, just to give context, where were you at in terms of total time when you actually got on? Like where were you twenty years ago when you started with Conair versus sixty four hundred hours now? Yeah, so uh, that in itself is a is a somewhat of a unique in this business a a, a bit of a unique um, uh, position. I was uh, I, I I believe I'm still the youngest uh, fellow that they ever hired um, at uh, twenty one. Um, there, uh, I, I believe, I think there was another one really close there, but, uh, but for, for a long time I stood out as being the, the youngest guy. Um, uh, I had 2,200 hours at the time. Um, it was a bit of a unique position. Um, uh, there was a small, at the time there, there was a small window where, um, uh, I knew that they needed somebody and I was able to, uh, to pop in there, um, under, uh, there, there's a couple of details in there. Uh, it, it was just a unique opportunity. Um, and, uh, they needed, a, a a guy like me that had a specific training on a certain type of airplane that they were bringing on brand new, uh, okay. online. Um, and it's, of course it's, it's, uh, cheaper and easier to, um, uh, I'm talking about the caravan, uh, yeah. the two weight caravan, um, to, uh, hire somebody that's current and already trained and, and, uh, typed on that airplane, uh, than it is to, to, uh, um, to send someone off to training on, on, uh, 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 Fair enough. Bringing a, bringing a guy in who's got some got, got time on type, and you flew yeah. that you flew that down in Southeast Asia, did you not? Uh, no. Uh, so I, I uh, uh, northern Manitoba initially, and then uh, and then at a, uh, a, a, a Edmonton based uh, oil field servicing comp- uh, charter company. Um, so yeah, so I had uh, so I was a relatively low time young guy, 
I uh, had a couple of good opportunities where I, I got trained on this uh, specific type of airplane that Conair was bringing on um, uh, uh, new for themselves. And they needed a guy short on uh, short notice, and, and I heard about it. And, uh, uh, you know, within a week, uh, interview, hired. And um, so they were, they were taking a bit of a chance on me because uh, being young, uh, relatively low experienced, and uh, for the very unique job it is, they were, you know, looking back, they took a, a significant um, chance on me, and, and uh, it had worked out. I didn't realize you were so young when you started at, at Conair, but still, you also had 2,200 hours. How long, when did you start flying? You were, uh, you went up the cadets uh, path, did you not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, um, uh, yeah, there, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a whole unique path there that uh, got me to, yeah, you know, age 21 there with that, uh, that, that time and experience. Um, uh, basically, um, so, yeah, so the whole air cadet program, uh, age 17, top of the program, um, there for every squadron uh, uh uh two two candidates uh basically compete for the opportunity for the flying scholarship program uh which is um so that's their kind of uh top level graduating level um uh course summer camp uh which is your private pilot's license and um so uh so for my teenage years yeah I was working towards that um so age 17 um, private pilot's license, and then straight to uh, uh, a, a college uh, aviation program. And you went to that. You came, you you because you you grew up. You did the Air Cadets in Winnipeg. Yeah. And then you eventually found your way to Calgary because you did the Mount Royal program here. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. So um, so while I was uh, uh, doing the summertime uh, uh, private, uh, uh, they call it Power Scholar Power Scholarship. Uh, so that was the summer. T- so, so I graduated. Um, you know. Uh, uh, June '96, uh, 17 years old. Uh, Air Cadet program, private pilot's license. Come out of there in August, and I've already applied and been accepted for the uh, Mount Royal uh, Aviation program. So you're 17 years old, and you're moving, and you're moving out west, kind of on your own to go to the Mount Royal program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, Dad bought me a brand new Ford Escort, 90, 1996 Ford Escort. We drove me out. The two of it, we loaded up some some stuff and whatever, a couple of bags and pairs of underwear and a couple of <laughs> couple of pieces of, pieces of loose leaf paper there. And mom sent me with a lunch and drive out to uh, Calgary. We had cousins here that uh, that I moved in with, um, so I had a, a okay, place so to stay. The, that, so the transition wasn't just completely guy on his own in a dorm room somewhere. No, no. Well, it got what happened. So, so dad, you know. You know Roscoe. <laughs> I do. I do. The, 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 the you know he's going to be listening to this. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> the most amazing, caring, loving, supportive uh, father <laughs> you could ever have. So he, he um, uh, we, 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 so first, so he gets to there for the, uh, the uh, first week of classes, and uh, day one, you know, I'm you know, seventeen from from Winnipeg. Uh, you know, the, this is I feel in over my head. Um, but after about the first three hours on day one, um, you know, I'm like. Okay, I, I'm feeling this. I mean, this is this is an exciting opportunity. Uh, but Dad was was uh, was hovering all day, like he was waiting for me to get out of classes. And but like on the third day, I'm like, Dad, you need, you need to get the heck out of here. I'm like, I'm in college now. <laughs> I'm, a, <laughs> so, I'm a college man. Give me some. I, give me some room, bro. But I'm like, I, how do you? I can't. I I I, I don't want to deliver that message. But the thing is, is like, Dad, you need to like 
you, like you're the only father that's hovering around his son <laughs> coming out of his <laughs> professional pilot training program here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and how it was and say, hey, curious back then, was yeah. this was this pretty much like an all guy program? Was it a mix, guys, gals? Like what's you know, I know the world of aviation is changing like so many of the worlds, but back then it uh, my imagining it was primarily male dominated or no? Yeah, yeah. So um uh, I'm I might miss out a couple of numbers here, but the so the general uh, under uh, under uh, accepted rule uh, is a is about ten percent of um, of a of the working professional commercial pilots are 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 uh, female. And has and that changed? Has that increased over the years? Just from your no, uh, sorry, that, I'm just asking you because I'm I'm curious as the world shifts in a direction of a much more balance and diversity and inclusion, is the aviation industry keeping up with that from your perspective? Um, so. I don't have a uh, hard numbers, but I can tell you that there are uh, specific recruiting programs uh, focused on uh, girls that are. Um, and, and Connor is actually a, a part of this. They um, they uh, they do some sponsorship and they provide some uh, some mentors. A couple of our female pilots. Um, uh, dang, I I, uh, I I don't recall the name of the program, but it's a um, basically a, a kind of like a trade day um, based okay. at yep. uh, Abbotsford Airport and. Um, it to expose women, young girls to the opportunity, like, hey, this is a viable option for you. That's yeah, great. That's good to hear that. Exactly. Awesome. So we have so female pilot leaders that are um, uh, that are, um, are are bringing so they're bringing in the uh, um, so these girls can come in and they get fully immersed with uh, female pilots with the airplanes, one on one time, full exposure, and I think it's fantastic. It's uh, uh, it's well, there's nothing more powerful than showing like what's possible. Like, you know, yeah. if you're a young girl and you're thinking about it and you're, you're anyone, a young person, you see someone doing the thing you want to do and you're like, oh, oh, wow, I can relate to that person. This is possible for me. Oh, that's good. I was just, yeah, yeah. sidebar, but I was just really curious. I think it's How fantastic. the aviation industry is adapted to that, which, you know, was, was traditionally kind of an, an old boys club kind of environment. For yeah, sure. Exactly. Like that's stereotypical. Also probably true. But to, to hear that, you know, I, I know a lot of female pilots now, but I don't know what the balance is. And I'm assuming like we're moving in the right direction. We're just probably not there yet. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, they're, um, uh, I, I, so we're definitely heading in the right direction for sure. So in my class, we had 48. We started with 48, and I'd say about roughly uh, uh, 10%. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm just curious. Yeah. So 17, 18, you're doing the thing. You're, you're, you're living the college lifestyle. You're training to be a pilot. But then fast forward, like four years, like three years later, four years later, you're at 2,200 hours. That's a big jump because commercial pilot, you, uh, sorry, at private pilots, you're coming out with what, like 45, 50, 60 hours? Uh, um, well, so yeah, private pilot. Yeah. So, uh, minimum 40, uh, yep. I, had, I had 48. Um, and then, um, so 17, that's basically four years to rack up, up to, to you know, so basically you're at 2200 hours. You're at 20. Yeah. You're, you're, yeah. That's a lot of flying you did. In yeah. I, I, was doing, I was doing like a, a thousand hours a year. Um, and, uh, so it's something that you'd be, uh, uh, you recall, um, I benefited just purely uh, uh, basically luck of the draw by timing lottery. Um, my timing in the, uh, the cycle in, in the industry was I hit it at a high point. Yeah. Uh, that so is, that is the ebb flow, yes. I hit it at a low point. <laughs> yeah. Followed up very quickly by 9-11. And, you know, I'm a 500-hour guy at 9-11. And that was, the, yeah, that was the end of the journey for me, for sure. Yeah, I and I, you know, we've talked about it a lot. And I, like, I actually, even right now to this day, like I, feel kind of horrible about because of the missed opportunity because of this you put all this uh, this time and effort and, and treasure into um to your training and getting all your licenses and and then for it to not turn out um 
There was a moment. There was some soul searching that happened from that, and you know, I think it's a good it's a good thing to bring up to talk about the reality of you know becoming a pilot. I have huge respect for anyone who invests in their career and their profession, and I can't speak to careers I don't know or professions I don't understand. But when you fly, like it's hard. You're passionate about it. Like there is a like you're all in when you're a pilot. Like you got like there's a there's a love. There's like you're doing the thing. Yeah, there, there's a um, there, there's a saying. Uh, the sim- the simple way of putting it is um, to be successful in this industry is. You basically have to, you know, um, you have to love it or sell your soul is, is one way to put it. If you want to put a a bit of a negative tone to it, but, um, it has to be a passion that's beyond just doing a job, making a buck. It's a, it's a thing greater than, than, a um, you know, just, a. Uh, than a nine to five or, or just uh, cutting a paycheck for sure. I, I completely agree. And I appreciate, I appreciate that you put it, you put it that way, you know, selling your soul. That sounds a little bit negative, but it's also a high value trade. Like you also get you have to, to be all in yeah, hundred percent. But, but to, what you to get, get out of it is also incredibly powerful. Like you invest, you give up your soul, but as a trade, if we're doing a deal with the devil, I got to get something out of it. What you're getting out of it is this incredible immersive experience. It's like, it's like, it's like sensory heaven when you're doing the thing. Like it, the first, the first yeah. day you roll out on the on the on the button with your with that twin engine aircraft, and and after you've been flying single engines and you put those throttles forward, like I don't care how many hours you put in, like that moment is a magical moment right there. <laughs> it's it's and, a, that, it, and I'm sure in your journey it only goes up from there. <laughs> it's a, it's indescribable for sure. Yeah, you know, yeah. and so that's a really good. Any moments along the way, like it sounds like you caught it at the right time. You really packed in the hours, like you got your experience. Was there ever any moment? Did you ever waver? Did you ever be like, wow, this is too much work or maybe I'm not cut out for this or like in those early days, like we can talk currently because I know you've evolved your career significantly, but man, you're 21. Like I'm going to be blunt. Your head's firmly planted in your ass at 20 years old or mine, mine certainly was. I'm not saying yours was, but now you're, you're doing this job that has high life and death situation. You're like you have other lives. Uh, you know, on in your in your care, was there any moments where you like kind of freaked out or like this isn't the right thing, or you were hundred percent all in all the time? You know, uh, interesting. Um, no, I don't. I never uh, that that uh, that type of feeling is. Uh, I I I I don't think I got anywhere near that. Uh, it was um, uh, when I, uh, I I really stumbled into this job, um, uh, and I was a bit. Uh, it, it was a unique time, actually. I was I was a bit salty, and um, uh, at that moment there when I was twenty one. Um, so I, I just spent uh, uh, a winter at. Uh, it was a, currently my new job, uh, basically doing. Um, it was an oil field uh, charter service, so they 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 catered to the uh, to the oil patch, um, and it was basically the, the majority of the work was flying. Uh, 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 rig crews uh in and, in and out of the uh the oil patch uh there in northern uh, alberta and bc there's um there's private uh, airstrips cut out all over the um uh, all over the place um and uh they're they happen to be the closest points to um uh you know uh, a lot of the oil rigs so um i really uh grew to dislike that uh, that job there's there's a, a bunch of things that that uh just wasn't for me and um so and the oil patches uh a lot of people know uh, when it was booming uh the uh winter time is is uh is uh is a busy time because it's ground's frozen and they're they're able to move gear and whatnot so um so i just got through one winter of that and um was was not loving it and um i had 
I didn't know anything about the firefighting industry. Um, uh, hadn't thought about it, was not at the top of my mind at all. Um, until, uh, one of the fellow guys that I was working with, uh, another one of the pilots, he was a, he was a part-time contract guy. Uh, he brought in his, uh, photo album, uh, one day and he was a way older fellow. He was like, he could have been my dad. Um, and, uh, so start flipping through his photo album. I'm like, holy smokes. I would, these highly customized airplanes, um, a lot of, uh, you know, fire and brimstone, dramatic, uh, fire photos from the air, but from low level, um, a lot of airplanes, close formation, a lot of airplane, large airplanes, really close to the, you know, really low to the ground, dropping thousands of gallons of red stuff. Um, just, this was, this was like opening up a, a door to a world that I, I had no idea about. Um, it was, it was just never, it was, uh, never had to, it was just never kind of put in front of my eyes and I've never really thought about it, never dwelled on it. And I, you know, I've got a big imagination, you know me. And, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Dude, true story. Yeah. And, uh, if I, uh, uh, this is a, a subject that I would have, I would have, uh, clung on to pretty hard if I had known anything about it. Um, so, uh, that, uh, so yeah, I, I actually got to give thanks to Dave Dalkey there for, uh, for bringing that photo album in cause it changed my life. And, uh, yeah. Um, so, uh, so that started it. Um, the, uh, you know, went through one winter working in the oil field and, um, uh, they need less guys during the summertime because the, the business drops off. And, um, um, basically I heard about, a, a there's a few details in there, but I, I heard about, uh, kind of last minute, uh, Connor was short for uh, a specific person that uh, could fill this one role. And, uh, just, I jumped on it. That's interesting. Of course, I, you know I've known each other for a long time. I never. That's one of one of the reasons I love doing the show because I get to hear the stories behind the stories. Never really knew what the transition point was and how you know as long as I've known you, you've been involved in in, in Con Air. So you're 21 years old. You look at a photo album. It's that TSN turning point. And you're like, oh, that, that was exact. Yeah, shit. I didn't even I didn't even know this this was a thing. And you know, again, like you said, huge respect for anyone who's in the aviation industry because it's not an easy job and it takes a level of professionalism to do it. But the world of firefighting, it definitely feels like it's a pretty unique little niche aspect of the of that world where you do things that you don't always get to do in traditional aviation, fly close to other planes, fly low to the ground, you're dealing in high stress, literally high temp, high you know, high risk, low frequency type of type of situations. So you're rolling in at twenty one years old. What was your what was your first job working at Connor? Yeah. Yeah. So in a way you could say I had no idea what I was getting myself into because I, I truly, <laughs> I, I really didn't. Um, but it was, um, it, it, uh, I was, it was definitely a, a significant several steps, uh, above what I was, um, uh, accustomed to in terms of operations. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, you've heard me say this a few times. It's, uh, it's definitely, it's a life of extremes. It's, um, um, the, you know, it, uh, your typical, um, uh, flying job. It's, uh, you know, that airplane's only making money if it's moving. Um, right. and, uh, so you're only generating revenue and you're only, uh, uh doing the job if that airplane is, is, you know, they want, they want a max utilization out of it. So that's what I was used to, um, flying as much as possible. Um, and, um, the, uh, so my uh, the the job I was hired into was uh, the the very bottom entry level position, which was um, uh, spare. So spare bird dog um, and slash parts runner. So 
flying the smallest airplane, um, kind of the, uh, 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 you're, you're on call as a backup, um, lead plane, uh, pilot, but, uh, your main role is basically to be on call to fly, uh, parts around, uh, the network and the network being at that time was, uh, just BC and Alberta. Um, so with, uh, firefighting airplanes out on base, um, that are always have a, a very, very high, uh, level of readiness, which is basically always available to ready to, uh, so fully fueled, crewed, um, available to dispatch and roll in a moment's notice. Uh, if that airplane has a, a mechanical issue, um, and they don't already have the parts on hand, uh, there's a whole, uh, department, uh, standing by at home base, uh, ready to take that required part off the shelf, hand it to a pilot who is, uh, who would have been me, uh, standing by, uh, with an airplane to take that part dispatch, fly to, uh, where the aircraft on ground is, well, AOG, uh, aircraft on ground, broken airplane, um, on a, uh, uh, not, uh, not airworthy, uh, and get that, that part to him as soon as possible to make that aircraft airworthy and, uh, and to be uh, back online, uh, available for, to be dispatched on fires. So that was, uh, so my main role was a parts runner, uh, but also, uh, initially trained as a lead plane pilot. So, uh, that first year, so, uh, I think I flew 70 hours that first summer in four months. Uh, so less than 20 hours a month, which I was normally, I was used to flying a hundred, 120 hours a month and down to, down to 20. So I was not, so that was a, that was actually a big conflict in my head. It was a, um, a lot of sitting around, um, waiting for something to happen. It wasn't happening. And, um, so that, yeah, that took Psychologically, care. that's tough. Cause you're, you've got to be completely there and present, but yet there's only so many days of boredom where you don't actually start to get a little bit disconnected mentally. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, I, 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 I still remember the feeling of, um, uh, so the base out of Abbotsford, BC there I was, I was, uh, actually I was, uh, yeah, uh, that was the year everything changed. Uh, the, uh, it, the, the, the very beginning of the lifestyle that I know now it, it's a life that it was the beginning of the life of extremes. The, uh, well, yeah, let's just to give everybody like you, you work basically five months a year. Yeah. So yeah, I, I call it five months a year. So it's, uh, <laughs> so they're, they're four, four yeah. so the, so the, the, uh, the position is, uh, is a, is a four month, uh, uh, a four month, uh, contract, but with, uh, travel and training and, and, uh, coming and going, or just, Call it a five-month commitment. Right. But for those four months specifically, you're basically on call. I know this year you guys have had changed some policies, but fundamentally, and again, I've known you for a long time, you're pretty much on call seven days a week from half an hour worth from sunrise to half an hour from sunset. And that's like you need to be within 20 minutes of the airport kind of at any, unless you guys are in a stand down kind of state of readiness. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Heat of the day, um, day you, know, you know, daylight, you know, when uh, when things are really busy um, and uh, you got the hot summer weather and, uh, and some of the, uh, these fire events that, uh, that we've seen in the, in the last few years, um, uh, you're available, uh, bit, bit, uh, daylight, um, daylight right. hours. Type of so just to like kind of top to cup down it for everybody. So Con Air, Con Air's clients are essentially government of Alberta and government of uh, BC. Is that like, yeah. do they essentially have one client? Cause this is the government is their main, like they, they're there to service the needs of the kind of forestry and the protection of the, of the province essentially. Yeah. So, right? so it's a, uh, so they're uh, so it's a private company that contracts to government agencies uh, okay. for emergency services. 
Okay. Yeah. And you guys are about 70 aircraft, you know, fly eight to 12,000 hours a year. You've been, um, like, I think, I think anyone who's lived in Alberta or lived in BC and Western Canada for the last kind of handful of years, it certainly feels like this fire situation, this summer fire season that we're getting into. Is it on the rise? Are you guys flying more and fighting more fires than you have before? Or is it just seen because we're affected by the smoke? Like recency, like I was affected by smoke, so therefore there's more fires. Or there's more media coverage, so therefore there's more fires. Is that out of 20 years, is that a real phenomenon? Like are we, are we thinking that's true or is that actually what's going on? Well, so I'll preface this with a, um, I say I'm not a climate scientist but uh, by any I appreciate, means. I appreciate the clarification, yeah. sir. But I can tell you anecdotal. So with with my – and I would, I, I would still say, you know, considering the uh, – uh, some of the the, uh, the people I look up to, the people who are ahead of me uh, who have been doing this business over twice as long as I have been. Um, so going with their experiences, their comments, coupled with, with uh, my – I'll still call it brief experience in this business is um, uh, we've all, we're all commenting on the fact that um, there has been a, a very noticeable uh, drastic increase in um, uh, fire intensity quantity. And um, it's, uh, and then when you start coupling it with um, uh, climate change data, um, it's, it's actually, it's, it's, it's a bit scary. Uh, sorry, scary is not the right word. It's very, very noticeable change in, uh, in trend. So usually, uh, this is just, uh, just kind of rough numbers that, that I, uh, that you hear from the people who know more than I do is, is the, um, the, these big fire years, I think, uh, uh, so 2003 Kelowna, everyone will remember that one. Uh, that was, that was a big one. Uh, 2017, 2018, the last, uh, 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 two big ones. Uh, 2017 was a record breaker for BC. 2018 broke the record yet again in terms of uh, intensity, uh, uh, hectares burned, uh, all the metrics that they follow. Um, uh, and you guys, and you're just speaking about kind of BC, Alberta. Like at this point, we're not talking about all the stuff we see on the media from California to exactly. like overseas, Italy. Like it's a, Greece. It's a significant. It's a global phenomenon, not just a Western Canadian phenomenon. Yeah, I, I believe. I believe from uh, from what I've heard. Deb, so the the they kind of the the average that they've been following that was that was kind of the standard model was about I think once every 15 years they were expecting a, a the data show that you know anticipate a, a big one. Um, so we've had, we've just had, we've just seen, uh, uh, multiple times, uh, the big ones, uh, well inside that 15 year average. Um, that is, I'm going to be as a non-firefighter in the room here. Uh, that is a little bit scary because those are the realities that affect us all. This isn't like someone else's problem. This is reality of the world we live in, whether it's, you know, having a home or having your life threatened by it, or just even air quality and quality of life living in Calgary. I remember those years, anyone I knew with any type of long or asthmatic issues, like it was a real, like it was a real problem. Yeah. You guys were, yeah. I, I'm, you know, when I was out uh, uh, working those couple of years, I, you know, I was obviously touching base with home a lot and, and I was, uh, I heard, I yeah, luckily I actually didn't did not live that personally because I was I ended up uh, getting based and positioned um, basically upwind of um, uh, we we're west of all of the uh, all of the fire fronts there and uh, so I I spent most of my time uh, in clear air it, we were dispatching in, in into the Merck um, but um, you know I hear these stories about uh, uh, here in Calgary you guys were uh, 
you know, having to brush the ash off of your vehicle every <laughs> no, day. No, it's a, it's a, it's a, it brings uh, it brings it home. It's not just something you're seeing on the news anymore. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I had to, I had to, I had to wash the windows every day uh, from uh, from uh, picking it up, going to going to work every day. But um, <laughs> yeah, I did not. It was interesting because I was I did not live the, um, uh, the kind of the day to day conditions that you guys were here having uh, downwind here well and yeah. it's a it's it's a it's interesting to talk about it from your perspective and again we all see it on the news and we all watch the you know see the water bombers flying over and to talk to you know so let's let's geek out a little bit here so you're on base you're waiting you're waiting for the call you're sitting around you know hurry up and wait it's like probably minutes of boredom interspersed by minutes of high high high, high action high activity and you, and you get the call like okay you got to go hit it like there's a there's a fire there's a report somebody calls in Walk us through how, like what, what, how, how, how does this happen? Um, okay, so yeah, so there's, um, uh, so there's, there's many parts of the machine. Obviously, uh, there's, uh, it's actually, it's, it's, it's really impressive. It uh, when you're able to. Um, well, actually, what you, you guys have. Uh, you, you I had the had, privilege of being in the control center in Kamloops and seeing kind of what, yeah. like the, seeing the big board of kind of what was going on. And yeah, having you, one of the guys walk me through. Here's what's happening on the screen. It's yeah, it is. It doesn't happen by accident. There's yeah, a, there's a series of very well tuned events and systems that brings that whole thing together. Yeah. So there's so there's, uh, there's uh, many many switches get uh, flipped uh, uh, before we ever get the call. So um, so. There's a there's a bit of a common misconception saying that uh, the water bombers you know you know put out the fires or or, or kind of save the day type of thing and that's not it at all. Um, we're basically a support tool for uh, the guys on the ground. The guys on the ground do all the hard work. Um, they're the ones that um, that that basically um, will um, take control and put the things out. Uh, we're just one tool in the box that they have at their disposal. They can request. Um, and uh and we basically um uh we basically uh suppress the fire and and hold it either either reduce its intensity or um or uh basically hold it back from uh from gaining intensity which uh which gives the uh the folks on the ground uh time to uh get organized uh, get into position, get their gear, their hose lays, their water sources, um, all the safety stuff that they got to do. It basically buys them time. So mm. it, it reduces the growth of the, of the, uh, the fire and gives them an opportunity to, um, uh, get in position and then do their thing and actually start to extinguish it. And, and so it's, um, uh, it's, uh, it's just one thing at their disposal, uh, on top of, uh, uh, you know, helicopters, uh, with uh, with bucket support, um, bulldozers, uh, cutting uh, uh, guard around the fire down to mineral soil, uh, water tenders, um, their own hose lays drawing from water sources on site. Um, so all of these uh, all of these uh, tools uh, add up to uh, basically a successful uh, uh, event. I appreciate that comment because again, from the outside, it's easy to look like oh, the the, the bomber put out the fire, but that's actually not. That's typically it's a, not. It, what's it's it. a, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a dramatic event. Um, there's uh, it's not typical to see large airplanes flying really low to the ground. Type no, of thing. true. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's uh, uh, it, it a lot of time it, in, in many instances. It, it's I mean the data, the, and they, of course they they track all the stats and stuff, and um, it's well proven that um, uh, it's a uh, a very highly effective tool uh, up to a point until Mother Nature decides that. Um, uh, 
she's in control and and uh, <laughs> and uh, it's always good to refresh and know your place and place in the world. And you it, guys, it's, don't- it's really sometimes it's you know you're, you're uh, you know we we have these uh, you know large high performance uh, pieces of machinery and and you kind of feel pretty powerful when you're uh, when you're doing the thing and and then there's those times where um, uh, Mother Nature says that. I'm far more powerful than you, and we're gonna we're gonna show you how. So yeah, Oof, yeah no, there's, there's some very stark realities to 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 what you do. And, and before we get into just some of some of the maybe the the darker side or some of the things that can go wrong, uh, just to clarify, you you guys don't drop. I know that some of your aircraft do the smaller ones, the fire bosses, but you drop retardant. You don't drop water. So yeah. you know, water bomber is an easy way to say it. But you guys, that's not actually what you're doing. The airplane you fly now, you guys use retardant. So we, yeah, what 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 what's retardant versus just because these are all the things that we think we just we kind of assume or we know that just aren't really true. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, here here's the deal. So there's a uh, so there's, there's two types of um, airplanes that drop stuff. Uh, the term water bomber refers to uh, airplanes like uh, everyone would will probably recognize uh, the big yellow. Um, High wing, uh, twin engine with a boat hull, uh, mm-hmm. the uh, uh, CL215 or 415, um, made in Canada here. So, um, those airplanes that scoop water, uh, fresh water out of lakes, um, those are your water bombers, and they're dropping. So, we call that the proper term is suppressant. So, uh, they pick up fresh water, um, they have a, a foam concentrate, which is basically just a, a it's just like dish soap type of thing. They have a concentrate, so they pick up a load of water, um, hit a button, and a measured portion of that concentrate is injected into the tank. And um, and when they drop uh, on the fire, they uh, it just kind of comes out like a like a big ball of soap suds. Hmm. And um, and what that does the the uh, the foam in there the the uh, soap suds is uh, um, uh, it uh, changes the surface tension of the water and it. Uh, it basically um, makes the water last a little bit longer. It buys you it buys you more time than just dropping straight fresh water. Oh, so yeah, so that's your that's your water that's your uh, that, that's your what uh, the term water bomber air tanker uh, refers to the airplanes that are uh, loaded with the uh, uh, the red stuff the the retardant at uh, they have to go back to the airport and land every time pull into the tanker base. Um, there's a crew there that uh, attaches a three inch hose. Um, you leave your engines running. The hose is attached. And uh, the upload uplift um, uh, tank load, um, you know, basically 500 gallons a minute. Um, and uh, the whole, you know, the airplane I'm on right now, um, you know, 2,000 gallons with uh, the walking to and fro takes about six, seven minutes. And um, so uh, the red stuff, uh, the retardant is, um, it's uh, it's basically it's fertilizer, salt, bentonite clay. Iron oxide for color. It's uh, colored red, uh, specifically just because uh, it, we're, uh, it allows us to see it in the trees. Mm. Um, it uh, pr- provides enough contrast. The the uh, that rusty red provides enough contrast against the green, so we can physically see it. And um, so the retardant is um, uh, much more, uh, far longer effective, um, and it uh, it it uh, it changes the chemical reaction of fire actually happening. And, um, and kind of takes a, takes a lot of, uh, 
the energy out of it and buys the guys a lot more time on the ground. So it allows them to. to and am I right hold. to say when it hits a tree on one side, it actually wraps around and kind of covers a tree on side to side? Is that, yeah, is that another urban legend, or do I, I don't know where I picked up that little tidbit. Probably from you. <laughs> so I'm yeah. So I'm uh, I'm not. Uh, uh, we have. There's a lot of guys that could tell you very uh, highly specific details of the. the, uh, the, That's the okay. I think my audience is probably good with the general that we've even got. Yeah. Like, what's a water bomber versus what's an air tanker? I think we've already made some ground here for everybody. Yeah. yeah. So, so there, um, so there, uh, there is some science behind. Um, uh, so there's two aspects. You think there'd be some? We call it shadowing. There'd be uh, exactly your, your, uh, the uh, as the product falls and it. it uh, I, ideally, the the retardant falls as a it, it meets the. The uh, the fuel type or the uh, the trees as as a basically as a as a heavy rain, and um, you would think that there might be some shadowing, um, but there is there is some uh, wraparound effect that happens. Um, so the trees protected around. So the the goal to your point is that it, it slows the fire down and gives everybody in the ground more time to act. And that's kind of really it. It's it's a deterrent as nothing else for for the fire itself. Yeah. So yeah. So it's a so the goal is to uh, apply it uh, directly next to the fire's edge so you're coating all of the fuels that the f- fire is about to uh, uh make progress on and um and um uh the goal is to not uh, have any leave any gaps whatsoever so we're, we're basically the the whole plan is to uh completely um it's like spray painting a line if you're, yeah, you're creating a wall basically is the goal right yeah exactly how yeah. long how uh what altitude are you guys at you know above ground agl when when you actually pull the push the button so so we're aiming for for roughly a hundred hundred to 150 feet uh above the tops of the trees so given okay, that it's good so to clarify yeah yeah so uh it's uh you know let's say you have 50 foot trees while well, you're 200 feet if you're 100 foot trees you're yeah, and for anybody who doesn't have context here, who's listening, like who maybe grew up, like maybe you're on the, maybe you're on, the, maybe you grew up in the prairies, you know, realize <laughs> this is an incredibly mountainous, hilly ravine. Like you're not, you're not bombing necessarily on flat ground. These are very contextual environments that I would say I would imagine add a considerable amount of risk to the situation. Yeah, yeah. The and even you know even the uh, the flat terrain uh, or you know. Um, uh, you know, uh, tr- train of lesser height, even, uh, or you call you you would maybe call the uh, the easy stuff, um, is again has its own unique challenges and risks attached to it, and um, uh, basically there's um, you still approach every target assuming that there there's something here that potentially could become a very significant issue and at any moment in time, and um, so you're. We basically approach every target the same. Um, no, I appreciate that because the consequences of, of miscalculation are in, incredibly real. You have a very large aircraft at moving at a certain speed. How much do, you, do how much do you slow the airplane up to make the drop? I'm assuming I'm assuming you bring the speed back to allow the retardant to kind of have have its do its job. Or? Yeah. So the so the ideal profile is is basically yeah, uh, 150 feet off the uh, off the target and 120 knots and um, and. Uh, uh, basically put all that math into uh, including the design of the tank and the doors and the way the load comes out um, is all designed to um, deliver the retardant as a just a uniform uh, heavy rain 
as it as it lands on the ground. So 120 knots. Where are you? What's what's your stall speed on that aircraft? You're you're on a Convair 580. Just for any of the anyone who wants to, to geek out and kind of check out the numbers, which we'll talk about in a second of the, the realities of this aircraft that you fly. But at 120 knots, what what's stall speed on that aircraft? Uh, yeah. So it depends on a bunch of factors there, but let's right. just let's call it just say roughly uh, like in the 80s type of thing. You're you're yeah you're it. So 120 knots is kind of your this, your standard perfect profile for uh, you know uh, any given certain circumstances. We'll actually bring that way back if uh, if you happen to be let's say in, in a very mountainous terrain or, and you're going to be heading downhill. If you're going to be starting at the top of a mountain and you need to go down the side of it, we'll we'll slow it up to you know 100, 110 for sure. A little bit less if you're a uh, much more experienced guy who as a I, I yeah this is my first year i'm we're not uh, proving anything <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I, I any, appreciate uh, that so yeah just for just you know for everyone's sake in terms of the journey in this event this adventure because life is an adventure that you're on this is your first year flying the air tanker that you find now you're a bird dog pilot uh basically up to last summer correct yeah 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 so um uh the uh yeah my uh my number came up and um and uh yeah i was uh i was uh, fortunate to be uh to be given the opportunity to uh uh, based on merit to um, to upgrade to uh, so eighteen years, you started at the like literally the entry level job to to coach you. Eighteen years later, you're now moving from a bird dog pilot, which is essentially to summarize a plane that flies around that helps work to create the picture, create the plan. You're not you're not dropping any retardant at that point when you're flying the bird dog. So up to last year, you were the bird dog guy, and now you are become an official bomber captain. Yeah, yeah. So the um our uh. Our, our internally our promotion standards are are uh, say, say an, a, another aviator from from a, an, another uh, uh, another job in the in uh, in the flying world would would look at our requirements and say that they're abnormally high or um, it would make sense uh, it, our internal promotion standards are are uh, are very high to ensure that we have the the right people filling um filling these roles because the there's a significant amount of um uh ability required and risk to manage and um and uh and so when I showed so when I showed up to the uh to the company I had I had very little background experience and um uh, most of the the people that uh, come to this come to this gig have have a lot more kind of varied experience than I did. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so actually I wasn't really, um, technically qualified, um, by our own, uh, standards here, but, um, the, uh, over this time I kind of proved my mettle and, and was given the opportunity based on merit. And well, uh, I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate you saying that, that like this, the rigor and the standards for where you need to be to be at a certain level are going to be, higher or different we'll just say different higher than they would be maybe in other in other careers because of the the risk factor so again i don't want to you know go delve too far into this but like i'm assuming in your career there you've experienced fellow pilots you've i'm assuming you've experienced fatalities like i'm assuming the consequences of this world the reason why that the rigor and the safety measures are so high is because the consequences are severe yeah there that is correct and um yeah there's uh uh there was one um a fellow that uh it was uh 
he was he was definitely when I, so when I joined the company he was definitely part of the old guard highly respected and um and uh you know he was very good to me i there was a there's a there's a number of number of moments uh where he kind of took time to show me some stuff and and kind of and and uh and uh give me some of his time and energy uh uh to uh to hang out and and uh, show me a couple of things on his own time. He didn't have to do that. He was doing it out of the, out of, uh, the goodness of himself and, um, highly respected fellow. And, um, uh, and we lost him, um, in 2010. And, um, it, it, it made me think, uh, you know, it, it, you know, I, I was really confident back then. I was, um, uh, I was a, I was a, at a, good point in my career having a having a blast and all of a sudden if uh this fellow uh could have an event what the heck am i doing here um yeah it was uh, uh everyone will have their own uh, personal experience uh relating to that when they're thinking about them um uh what i like what i like to think i did was uh i spun that as positive as possible um to give myself perspective as to um you know uh how do i approach this job every day what's my mindset um you know what uh what are what are the uh what are the things that i what are the what are the things in my head that I that I'm using to uh, to approach a job, manage it, manage the risk? Um, what's the level of professionalism I'm bringing to it? Um, what am I missing? And I just use that as uh, I use this event as as much as I could to um, to uh, basically to 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 uh, better the way that I uh, that I do the thing. I appreciate that. There's always those moments in life when our own mortality kind of shows up around us, you know, through events of another, you know, when you see it. And uh, yeah. like you said, like, no, no, I'm good. I'm beyond reproach. I've got this. And then all of a sudden, someone that you feel or elevate that is, you believe, you know, infallible and something like, you know, it's a reason why it's called an accident, right? Because no one wakes up in the morning planning to have one. No, no. It, uh, yeah, yeah, it was, um, but you, I heard you loud and clear. You channeled that back into like, how can I be better? How can I be a better pilot? Yeah. If, if I'm going to stay doing like, if this could happen to him, um, if I'm going to stay in this role, um, I, I need to, I need to really, um, uh, use this, uh, use this moment to, um, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm curious, and this is you know kind of maybe a brotherhood question, and I say brotherhood including men and women, of course. I don't I'm not saying that from a male perspective, but is that something that is pilots? Do you guys talk about that? Is that the like you know when everyone else has gone home and it's just the pilots sitting around? And do people like? Is it a world where people go like, no, I'm good, I've got this, or is it a world where? Uh, maybe I don't. I'm not asking you to air dirty laundry here, but is it a world where people are like, "Yeah, man, that really made me question. Like that made that really affected me." Or do people, people, or, or, or do your fellow coworkers? And again, keep you know to what degree you want to share here. Do people keep that stuff locked up, or do you guys talk about like, "Hey, man, you like that had impact on me. Like I, 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 I'm processing that." Is is that a world where do you guys talk about that kind of stuff? Yeah, I'd say um, exactly. You know, no, it, it, it's a, a very, no, very fair question, and um, it's simply. Um, um, 
think of the best way to put this here. The um, so I'll, I'll call this in, in air quotes. Our debriefing time is usually mm-hmm. um, after hours. Um, it, it's away. From, it's away from the workplace on our own time um, uh, when we're not on call, and um, no one's expected. Uh, sorry, let me let me say this again. Um, the uh, the kind of the venue between um uh or kind of fellow teammates there the the venue is always open and available to to discuss whatever you have on your mind whether whether you whether you need to or not Uh, and if you do need to um that uh that opportunity is always there um well sorry it's not just uh, typically would happen after hours uh when um when uh when we're uh, uh not expected to be ready for other stuff uh just on personal time but at any time really um uh if you need to talk there's everyone there's going to be someone there to uh to be part of that um but if you don't there's no expectation for that either so no, I, I appreciate yeah. the honesty and you know, thanks, thank, 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 thanks for entertaining the question because it yeah. can easily appear and certainly the little bit of time that I spent in it, certainly there was a, a degree of stoicism to that career. To, you know, and I have an old a mutual friend that we both know and we won't, won't get into details, but uh, you know, Air Force, Air Force, Air Force captain, Air Force colonel. And he said, well, Tyler, I got to tell you, not a, not a lot of time people took to ask me how I felt about it. You just had to do the mission yeah. and how you felt about it at the end of the day didn't really matter. Because you had to get up, maybe do the mission tomorrow, and that's just the way it was. And you know, obviously, it's been proven that that's maybe not a healthy way to engage with the world around. So I was just curious in a world that where you guys deal with life and death situations, and there's a lot on the line, whether it's your own lives, but you're also saving, like you're saving communities. You're 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 dealing with a real job. So I was just curious from the perspective of you know how much people were allowed to just you know maybe be human versus just get the job done. Because when that phone rings, you got you got to get the job done. That's the kind of a career that you guys chose to be in. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. The job. The job is to is um is to is to be ready um yeah exactly that that's uh, uh that's number one um i would i i'd happily say that uh that these days the trend uh for sure uh, towards um basically uh so we call it human factors um your your mental well-being and your just the the state of your person um there's a lot more attention and uh credence being paid towards um uh, you, just your overall health, your mental health. Um, you know, um, you know, sh- showing up to work and being ready for the job as not just being alive and breathing and being able to flip a switch. It's, yeah. it's, are you, are you mentally there? Are you, are you hundred, are you fully prepared to, to manage it's, it, a good way to call it the, to, you know, air tanker, pilot, captain, firefighter, um, an even more appropriate uh, job title would be a uh, risk manager. Uh, but that's the, the biggest thing you say we, we do is uh, we're managing risk. There's, there's the, every minute there's a new risk that, uh, that needs to be accounted for and managed properly. So um, it, it's uh, well understood these days that um, um, be, having a, having a present mind uh, uh, being ready and able to, to manage those risks as they come along, uh, mental, you know, mental state of mind is, uh, and mental health is is a is a very important thing, which is a uh, which is uh, recognized and supported these days. 
Yeah. I, really, I really appreciate Highly. you hear that because I yeah. think there's obviously been a trend over the last bunch of years for industries that maybe weren't that way at one time, and and you know for whatever yeah, the reason, old ways, yeah, yeah, the old, the old, the old, the old way, whatever, whatever even that means or whenever that was. But that transition, I like what you said about like showing up as the whole person because everything in your environment is risk. You're there to mitigate the risk. You can't necessarily avoid it. The ri- the risk is present in the nature of the career, yeah. but to be the best equipped and have the best tools in your toolkit, including your mental state, mental, physical, all those things. But to hear that the, the organization or that world, let's just not even, we're not talking about Conair specifically. We're just talking about maybe those, those high intensity kind of stoic careers that are being looked upon now as maybe the whole, hu- the whole person showing up. So to me, that's a move in the right direction. So yeah. I, I, I wasn't fishing for it. I was just really curious because yeah. I so, grew up in a world where how you felt wasn't really, no one really right. cared you just had to get the you just had to get the work done and you yeah. know i saw a little bit of that in the aviation world and when you've got high stress and you've got like there's there's like shit's going down there's an easy thing to forget that human side and just focus on like get the task done at all costs and we've all seen reports and i think you sent me a video from last year when you were in australia where guys took excessive risk and next thing you know was an encounter with the ground like you know the consequences are so real in your world to to not think about those things to means like you're just you're just creating more risk yeah very happily to report here that um there's far more support these days uh towards the the health of the individual um to the point where um we could say no or turn down a, a mission or any reason basically that that you that you deem necessary say that i I don't think I should go flying right now. Um, I should not go on this dispatch. I should not go do this thing that I've been tasked to do for reason X, Y, or Z. And, um, and it does not matter, uh, what that reason is in the moment. Um, you're, we're fully hundred percent supported, uh, in terms of taking a, uh, making a safe choice to not, um, take on something that potentially be uh, far more risk than you're prepared to manage uh, for whatever reason uh, fully supportable we'll, we'll sort it out later um, if we're, we've just prevented potentially prevented an accident the focus on on uh, liability and and accidents and fatalities and having a bad event um, a significant amount of our energy is put into preventing that from happening and sorting out what the issue is and carrying on um, uh, with uh, with with no penalty, the, it, we're fully supported in terms of. Uh, I appreciate it. that makes a big difference. Yeah. So like to, to talk about it is one thing, but to be able to say I don't feel like I'm like for whatever reason. To your point, yeah. the reason almost becomes secondary. What does? I don't feel safe, or I don't feel like I'm that this is the right thing to do at this time. To have that supported in the moment, that's an easy thing to talk about. It's another thing to actually have show up. It, it is. Life. It is because we're you're you're. Uh, you know, when you're doing the job and you're you're given all of these these uh, these, uh, you have this huge support uh, system uh, uh, you know, around you. I, I'm not going to say below you. We're all a very significant part of the team, but there's there's a massive structure uh, uh, set up in place for um, uh, for uh, for action uh, forest fires, and uh, you know we're, we're given these uh, these high performance assets. And you're doing this really exciting job, um, uh, you know, really close to terrain. You're, it's it's a job that uh, uh, very few uh, other uh, uh, you know, people or operators of airplanes uh, would 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 like you to to to, to operate their their asset uh, in that environment. 
And um, <laughs> so, so you're, yeah, you're and like, let's be honest. These are million, these are multi-million dollar assets that you guys are operating to do this job. Yeah. And, and you're, and you're placing these assets, including the pilots and the equipment in a high risk situation to deal with a high, like high stakes, like a fire is a very high stakes event. Yeah. Yeah. There, there's a lot of moving parts. There's a, there, there's a, uh, yeah, there, there's, there's a, uh, there's a, uh, assets and, and lives at risk on the ground, and uh, things are extremely dynamic uh, situation, and and uh, so and you have all these tools at your disposal, and when you arrive at a at a uh, at an incident, um, of course you you want to uh, you want to carry on with the task and do the do the job, and so when a, a potential issue pops up that causes you pause and causes you concern. And makes you raise an eyebrow, and your experience tells you that I, you know, there's 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 an added risk to this uh, to this uh, to this thing. There's a detail here that doesn't make me feel good. Um, you, you know, there's a a lot of parts of the motion that got you to this place right here and right now. And the job is to deal with the with the incident, and to then to have to all of those things have taken place, and to then say. No, we're not going to do this. We're going to say no to this task, and we're going to um, turn this down and and turn around and go home, go back to base. That's actually a, that that's a conflict within our own head. That um, that experience and professionalism will will only uh, deliver you to the point of saying, well, that that um, this is the necessary decision. Um, and that initially that was that's hard. That's a hard thing to do to to. To go through all that and to turn it down and say no and cancel all of these parts that have been put into motion um, these days, you know, especially 2018, um, by far as the uh, conditions are so extreme, um, uh, that was a, the uh, greatest number of uh, of emissions that we've uh, we said no to or turned down because the spidey senses were uh, pretty highly tuned by now. Um, uh, well, experience, right? That's yeah. that's what that's the joy of kind of wisdom, you know. Yeah. You, you accumulate some data, you accumulate some knowledge, translates into wisdom. So yeah, so I, you know, I I I was very I I was very happy with myself when I when I realized I got to the point where, um, uh, with confidence, happily said, uh, this is, uh, this situation is is uh is far too risky. It's beyond. It's not worth it, and it's uh, it's far more worth it to. Um, not action this and get ourselves out of the situation and um, and uh, this is this is this one's not for us and uh, it was uh, there's, a, there's a significant level of confidence that uh, that uh, came with, uh, with well that. just the mindset to be able to see that as a, as a win versus some kind of a failure or some kind exactly of, I, I don't Dude, even use that, the word failure but that transition between those two that things exact, like that is a very fantastic analogy is uh, that that also is a win being confident in that and making those decisions and being in an environment and an organization that supports that. So yeah. let's pivot for a second here because we went down a little bit, but I appreciate it. it's the real human side of it. That maybe it's, you know, talk about the glamor and saving, saving the, the city and, and, and saving the day, but there's gotta be some, and it's gotta be an incredibly rewarding experience. Like I know you fought the Penticton fire this summer where literally it was right there with base, the town's there, everybody's watching. Oh yeah. And you know, you got, I know that's the day that you got your captain's <laughs> wings that day or you got, I got like, so, yeah, I got signed off on uh, my, uh, my, uh, 
uh, initial line. Uh, my my so online. So the stars training. are aligned. Yeah. You're you're doing the thing. Yeah. You know, you know how many how many missions did you fly the day? Because it was like the base was right. You could see the fire, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, everyone uh, uh, familiar with the Okanagan Valley and. But the Australians uh, pronounce it O'Connigan. I'll throw that out there. Um, <laughs> uh, it's hilarious. I just call it O'Connigan now. Um, so yeah, so the uh, so Patekton Airport, um, uh, uh, west side of the valley there, and uh, the target east side of the valley. It was four miles, uh, four nautical miles from the center of the airport to the to uh, to that uh, uh, cri- uh, we call it Christie Mountain Fire. Is a, uh, what they and it, last summer was your your you're getting certified on your new con your new <laughs> your new Convair five. Yeah, my new because 1953 Convair. Yeah. Yeah, let, yeah. Let, yeah. New to you. New, new, new to me. New, yeah. new, new to me. New to me. Yeah. And pre- it's amazing pre- for well anyone who, who deals in the world of equipment to think of a 1953 piece of equipment that is operating. And I've been in the aircraft like it's you know tip top shape. But when you look around, you're like, this is a bit of a steampunk aircraft. Like, what's yeah. going on here? Like, uh, is there is amazing? valves and there is things that are just not you know compared to your you know flying around in, in a CJ. Uh, but this is a real deal. Like you're 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 a bomber ca- you're a bomber captain now. Yeah, the, the the voltage regulators are are carbon pile, uh, which is a technology from uh, well, basically the 1940s. <laughs> they produce more heat. They produce more heat than they do uh, 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 regulated electricity. Yeah. That's amazing. So basically, yeah. World War II, post World War II era aircraft. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so they uh, yeah they were um, uh, brand new. Came off the line uh, as piston air- aircraft. Um, uh, in the early 1950s, and then uh, and then in the 60s, um, uh, uh, engine technology and and the turbines for, were finally uh, uh, became a, a big thing, and um, it was a it was such a beefy uh, and well built airplane that they were able to uh, re-engine them um, and uh, add a, a lot more power, and uh, so they the majority of them uh, were we call it. Turbinized, uh, they're turned into turbines. <laughs> I, I appreciate yeah. I appreciate the technical term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, no, the uh, uh, the airframe, uh, yeah, the the uh, data plate uh, riveted inside the cockpit. Yeah, it came out of the uh, consolidated Volte uh, factory in San Diego, 1953. It was my uh, the one I was on, and then in uh, yeah 65, uh, uh, re-engined. And, um, and when did it become a uh, an air tanker? Uh, that was, um, that program I believe was, uh, and I remember this because it was the year I graduated high school. I think uh, it was 98 was the, when they started to bring them online. Um, nice. A huge transition for you. You're, you know, and, and again, in, in a good way, this was a pretty slow summer for you up to that point. So you're out there basically yeah. like, okay, I got to learn how to fly this plane. I got to learn how to do the thing, you know, a, a significant shift in your career and there was no fires, <laughs> but you're in a weird position where you need it to actually advance. Your yeah, we, so had, we like, actually, yeah, yeah. yeah. Back, back to the hurry up and wait kind of. So we, we keep that, keep that, we keep that to ourselves. We uh, we want fires. We 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 kind of we want the action. We want the things to. You know. No, yeah. it, for sure. I've, I clearly get that. But yeah. obviously, you're in an environment that if it doesn't have a fire all summer, it was an absolutely success a successful year. Yeah, yeah. But when yeah, a guy's exactly, making yeah. the pivot in his yeah. career, guy requires you know he need he needs some activity to make it happen. Which I appreciate that. I think everyone from the listener perspective understands. So the reality is, Penticton Penticton light lights up, and all of a sudden there's a fire four miles away from the center of your base, and you got to basically that day. Save the town. I'm, I'm air quoting here because, like, I don't over glamorize it, but you were part of the team that saved the town. And the reality is, you rolled in that day. You walk off the line, and what happens? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. The, um, yeah. A little more context is uh, so. Uh, 
so that was that was in August. Uh, so the fire season really didn't kick off till August. So we we'd uh, spent three months there, um, uh, kind of waiting for the fire season to kick in, and um, uh, the uh, oh, where am I going? Um, Hey, let's just let's take it back. You're, 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 you, 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 you fight the fire. It works. You get to there. Yeah. You're walking off the line, and you walk into the you walk into the base. You run into your your who do you run into? Like what 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 happens that day? That was a big day. Um, so we, we had a little we uh so the previous two weeks we had it was starting to get there. The the, the heat of the summer was uh, was finally starting to kick in. Um, uh, kind of finally get some heat heat in uh, in in the early august there and we had a, a few smatterings of a of a couple of targets or we had a, i think about three or four fires uh, over a couple of weeks and uh so we started a, we had a real slow start and um and uh the uh and i was making some good drops and uh and it was you know it you're kind of proving to yourself you're like oh, okay we're finally doing the job and um and i'm putting the uh, retardant where it's uh where it's required so I had a little bit of a little bit of warm up over two weeks, about four fires, and then um, and then yeah, August seventeenth kicked off, um, and that's when um, uh, basically the conditions uh, rolled over into um, a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of fires were starting to kick off. So we had we had a um, uh, we had a couple couple weeks of heat. Uh, all the fuel started to dry off. The humidity's uh, really dropping. Um, and so you, you kind of see this coming. So the excitement, or the the uh, um, the anticipation starting to build. You're like, okay, I, am I? I need to be a little bit more ready today. You know, mentally, physically, uh, my meals are prepped. My, um, you know, I'm, uh, I'm uh, up a little bit earlier. I'm, uh, maybe I've um, uh, got a little bit of exercise uh, in the morning, and um, I'm you know I'm a little more ready today um, overall than I was. I have a higher state of readiness than, than uh, you know, say than uh, you know, when it's raining out, um, and um, so hot days, um, uh, low humidity, and then the the thing that really kicks it off um, in a Canadian summer is we call it dry lightning. So it's a so it's lightning with no rain associated. Um, so it's a whole bunch of uh, sources of ignition and uh, no rain to to snuff out any, uh, starts that have happened. And, um, so yeah, I kicked off that day and, uh, yeah, we flew 10 missions. Uh, a couple of them were up into, uh, kind of the Thompson uh, river Kamloops area. And then, um, we were recovered back in Penticton, uh, kind of late morning, uh, early, or maybe early, oh no, it was about, no, it was early afternoon. I think it was about two o'clock. Uh, it was cause I remember we were, um, uh, standing beside the fuel truck as they were uplifting uh, our load and uh someone uh someone kind of points out like hey uh, check out that smoke over there looking across the valley and that's the way it starts it's just you know it all starts as a you know basically a this the size of a uh uh the flame off a lighter and um and just a little wisp of smoke and but it's constantly getting bigger and bigger and bigger and there's a little bit of wind there and in no time you just see this uh this column just rolling and you're like makes you know if anyone if, if there's somebody on the base that hasn't seen it yet you're like hey check that out 
be ready. We're going to be going. You, you, enough experience, enough time goes by. You can you can start to kind of predict uh, what what's uh, what's gonna what's coming your way. And uh, yeah, so finally we launched. Well, I think initially they sent uh, they sent the burger dog out to have a we call it a recce. Uh, send out the uh, the lead plane to go check it out first, um, and yeah, they're just in no time. Uh, you get a report back. They're like, yeah, we're gonna, they're gonna. It's not officially yet, but they're gonna be rolling you. So, just a bit of a heads up. Uh, everyone, kind of, whatever last little thing you got to do uh, to be ready. That's your cue to to do that. And um, so, at that point, we're just waiting for the waiting for the official dispatch to, uh, to go off. And, and then, uh, once the dispatch happens, there's a bunch of automated, automated things that, uh, a, a, a dispatch notice, uh, which comes basically just comes over email where uh, all of our phones are set up, um, to, uh, we all get the same information all at the same time. And, um, you must, uh, basically uh, you need to immediately acknowledge receipt of that, of that, uh, uh, that email. And when you do that, uh, that kicks off a bunch of processes that are all automatic. Um, which, uh, so going off of one email that is a, uh, comes from a, a very specific, uh, uh, sender, um, with that package of information, we basically, uh, without talking to anybody, uh, get the airplane started, loaded, uh, get it airborne en route to the coordinates of the target and um up to and including five minutes back from the those coordinates um we check in with the on-site uh, lead plane or bird also known as a bird dog um the bird dog is in is uh, uh they're the ones in control of the uh the airspace uh five miles around the fire uh control of uh, 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 any asset in the air assigned to that target uh is in contact with uh, dispatch uh back at um uh in Kamloops and is in contact with the, uh, uh, the IC, uh, incident commander on the ground. And, um, so you you fought the fire. Oh yeah. <clears throat> like yeah. you did, you did the day and you landed and you come in. Let's get to, let's oh, get yeah, to the yeah, end yeah, of the story. Yeah. Like, well, sure. let's, get, let's bring the audience along with the story. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So let's get, let's get to the crescendo for the day. Like you're, you're still, you're not checked out. You haven't got your captain's wings yet. You're oh, not yeah. certified that day. What happened that day? Oh yeah. So yeah. So the, uh, the last flight of the, so we land and we pull in, uh, so we park at the tanker base at the, uh, after the last, uh, last load. And, uh, I wasn't expecting to be signed off there. Um, uh, I just thought I'm like, okay, that was a good day. Uh, we got to do some more of that. Um, and uh, my uh, my fellow uh, gave me a big slap on the back and says, "Well, um, like, we haven't met your fifty hours yet. We still gotta uh, still gotta meet that time requirement." But like, as far as I'm concerned, I'm like, uh, you 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 did the thing, so you're consider yourself signed off. We just gotta pound off a few more hours here. And I've, that was that wasn't expected. I was because um, that wasn't my focus. My focus was on uh, just doing the job um, as as best as I could, and uh, I held my own. And, uh, that was a heck of a thing. We, um, uh, you know, we, sh- uh, we, we put the airplane to bed on the inside, crawl down the ladder. Uh, it's kind of dusk out, um, you know, a head swimming and, uh, uh, just, uh, you know, one of those, uh, those rare moments where you've, you've succeeded, you've highly succeeded in the thing that you've been working towards, uh, um, uh, for a long time. And, 
look over your shoulder or kind of over the tail and there's this monster mushroom cloud building, you know, just cooking off on the side, on the hillside there. And it was just one of those scenes that, um, uh, it was a unique event. I'll never, never forget it. And, uh, we, somebody snapped a photograph and it was heck of a, you know, just me and me and the airplane and, uh, and my, uh, my FO and, and this, this, massive monster uh, mushroom cloud cooking off in the four miles in the distance it was a heck of a thing dusk you know it is summertime august Dude, it's from a movie yeah. man i think we're all yeah, totally and, and if i'm not mistaken weren't your parents wasn't your dad you want your parents oh, geez. in town for that yeah so mom and dad mom and dad happened to be um they came to stay with me uh, uh and uh they were so they had uh, uh the, the plan of being obviously we would have been hanging out if there was if we, i didn't have any work going on uh i was like hey sorry guys i gotta head to work here that was a, that was in the morning and i was giving them updates obviously but um when this uh we were doing the high rotations out of penticton there uh mom and dad basically hung off the fence right at the tanker base uh gate there with um uh some of the local people who are um uh are uh, very knowledgeable about our operations they they had uh aviation radios that were listening to communications and they were able to, so these local people who were um uh, they were able to basically give a, 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 they were able to interpret and give a play-by-play in layman's terms to my folks who were watching these things, these operations with their own eyes, but also getting uh, firsthand um, accounting uh, with our uh, uh, radio communications and getting interpretation by people who knew what was uh what they were listening to it was it was unreal it was you, you can't you couldn't it's a pretty cool plan that. it's a yeah. pretty cool uh kind of bringing it to a close for your dad of the guy who was hanging yes. around with you hovering over your shoulder three days into yeah. <laughs> aviation school and now he's leaning on the fence watching yeah. his son flying this like massive sixty thousand pound aircraft I don't know, man. I'm just I'm in your dad's shoes on this oh. one. I'm like, man, he must have just been beaming from ear to ear, like from the guy from the from the dad who wouldn't like didn't know when to back off when you were 17, to the dad and the mom that were just like coming out of their skin with pride watching you do the thing. Like, you can't. Twenty some years later, that's you, a, you can't, that's a cool dude. That's like a movie. We just did the movie. Right? We're good. You cannot you cannot custom order the, these these moments, and it was it was just brilliant. I, I I'm so thankful for that for that to uh, for that for that day. Uh, yeah. Dude, what dude, what a story. What an adventure. I love uh, getting a window into this world that you live in, which I think it's so easy to look for. Oh, yeah, you know, the pilot does the thing. It fights fire. It's just so interesting to understand kind of the nuance of what goes on the behind the scenes. But for anyone who's even who's in aviation or thinking about getting into it, you know, just to understand that journey of like such a tangible activity-based thing that you get to do and to have your parents there on that day. I don't know. I just think that story, I, I love that story when you told it to me. I'm glad we kind of ended up there on the podcast because what a, what a no, no better place to, uh, to end it then like literally we just we just did we you just rode off into the sunset literally it just it just, it just happened man yeah but uh no it's uh it's it's a, it's a journey and it's adventure and i appreciate giving uh you being taking the time and you know being honest with telling people like what it's really like and the journey of kind of doing that type of a role which so many people so many of us look at from the outside and like oh that's kind of cool it's kind of neat but we really have no idea what it takes to do the job that you do so thank you for the hard work that you do and the effort that you put in and thanks for coming on the show man thanks for sharing your story <laughs> thanks for having me buddy yeah. It's an absolute pleasure, man. Cheers. Cheers.